This is Second Down right here on ESPN Radio. Christian Gokel, glad to have you hanging out here on this Tuesday afternoon. We have so much to dive into here. Obviously, we got Braves in the World Series Game 1 against the Astros coming up. The first World Series game since 1999 for your Atlanta Braves. You'll be able to hear the game coming up tonight following 3 and out. Uh, 808 first pitch in this one. Charlie Morton taking the mound for your Atlanta Braves. But there's also a, a pretty big game happening this weekend. And, and honestly, with our area, it might be the biggest game of the year. Georgia, Florida, in Jacksonville. We'll talk to Buck Ballou, former Georgia quarterback, Georgia, Florida Hall of Famer, obviously completed that pass to Lindsey Scott in 1980. We'll catch up with Buck coming up here in a little bit. Also, Brooks Austin from Dogs Daily on SI.com will join us. But we're joined now. We'll, we'll get the, the opposing team perspective here. I uh, can't think of anybody better to talk to. Demetrius Harvey uh, from SI underscore All Gators on Twitter, or you can follow him at Demetrius82 on Twitter as well. Demetrius, thanks for taking the time, man. No problem. How are you guys doing? We're we're amped up. There's a there's a whole lot of emotions going on up here. I guess Gainesville is that still Braves country? Does that still count as Braves country? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like most of uh, this sector of Florida is Braves country. So I mean, I, I guess so. So I mean, we'll go we'll go that both sides are feeling it a little bit. You got a huge game coming up in Jacksonville. I mean, Saturday is just going to be crazy because you'll have Game Four of the World Series plus whatever happens there at TIA Bank Stadium. But uh, we did want to talk with you, man, because Florida's in an interesting position, right? They 4-3 and three this season and really going back into last year, the way that season ended, it's been a rough stretch for Dan Mullen and the Gators just this week. Uh, a lot or a couple of D- big D commitments for the Gators. What is the attitude like around that program right now heading into this game? Well, I mean, if, if, if you talk to the players and the coaches, obviously it's you know still full steam ahead. Um, they're trying to make sure to get right and complete this season on a high note. You know, um, yes, the season might be over in the minds or the eyes of fans and and other onlookers and everything like that. Of course, because you know once you lose three games, your your chances of making the playoffs are, are completely gone. Your chances of making the uh, conference title game are pretty much gone, and and I would say they're gone because of you know Georgia and Kentucky and other teams that Florida's just not going to be able to topple um, over the next you know few games of the season. Um, but the the the, the biggest storyline I guess entering this week, the biggest question mark everybody is talking about, of course, is the quarterback situation, and and that's sort of going on in the minds of the coaches and and probably the players somewhat. Um, they're probably not as concerned about it as much as. Fans are right now, but it's definitely a story. It's definitely something that 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 people are going to keep an eye on, and I think that for now, entering this game, you know, they're going against the number one team in the country again. You know, of course, the week three they went against Alabama. I think they're probably one of the only teams or only programs in in, in a while to go up against two no, number one teams in one season. So I think that that's a big factor in this one. Um, obviously, it's the it's the major rival game. I mean, this is the game that every Florida fan, every Florida player, every Florida coach circles before the season starts. And um, I think they're going to try to play, you know, as hard as they can, but um, it's going to be a tough one. What has been the biggest issue in your mind? Obviously three losses, but they haven't all been the same, right? You lose a heartbreaker to Alabama, and I'll say because you miss an extra point, so put that on special teams. Then you go up to uh, Kentucky and you score 13 points against what is a good Kentucky defense, but still 
Florida should be able to get off the bus in Lexington and put up more than 13. Uh, and then, obviously, the game at LSU couldn't stop anybody, so put that on the defense. I mean, has there been a consistent theme throughout the year, or has it just been one unit failing, uh, and that's just been the demise? It, it really has. It's been one of the situations where you can't pinpoint an exact issue with this team. You can't go ahead and say, yes, the defense is terrible, um, while you could say that about the game against LSU, if you look at all of their other games, they only let um, one team score more than 20 points uh, throughout the season, and that was Alabama. And that's an Alabama team that uh, you expect them to score at least 30 points. You expect them to score that many points maybe in a half against some teams. You know, the, the, it, it's a powerhouse school and a powerhouse uh, program, so you, you weren't quite surprised by that. The, the defense overall, in my opinion, and I wrote about this a, a couple weeks ago before the LSU game, uh, it's been solid. It's been consistent. It's been nice, even without Ventrell Miller, even without um, Kyer Elam for a couple games. You know, it, it, it was it was fine. And I think that if you go back and look at that Kentucky game, um, the offense was the issue. They weren't able to do anything in the red zone. Once they got to the red zone, they had penalties. I believe they had something like, uh, 14 penalties and, and eight false starts, something insane, which you, you don't necessarily see that commonly from a Dan Mullen coach team, uh, which was the, 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 the shocking thing from that game. And, and Emory Jones's poor performance throughout that contest, it, it just sparked more Anthony Richardson hype and people wanting to see him come into the game. And uh, that was going on. And then they went against Vanderbilt, which, of course, you know, they're going to beat Vanderbilt 42 to 0. And then th this most recent week, you know, they, they just can't stop the run. And it was one play over and over and over again. Uh, coaches and players have come out and said different things. Uh, a couple of the players, or at least one of the players, uh, they were out-schemed. I mean, and that was clear. They, they, they just didn't have an answer for that. Um, Todd Grantham came out and said, yeah, you know, players have to get in their fits better. They have to make sure that they're staying in their gaps and do what they're assigned to do. And, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of a – a mess. I think that if you want to break it down into one unit or one collective or why they're um, losing these games the way that they are, I think that you can point to coaching more than anything else. And uh, I think that it, it's it's going to be an issue throughout the rest of the season. Catching up with Demetrius Harvey, All Gators on Sports Illustrated. Find him on Twitter there. Uh, man, looking at this game, I feel like Florida can be really dangerous. So many people are just kind of writing off the Gators in this one. Georgia uh, is the clear-cut number one team in the country to a lot of people. I feel like Florida can be dangerous in this game. What do you feel like is the game plan for them to pull off the upset? Well, you know that Georgia's run defense is, is incredibly stout. I think they're giving up maybe 60-something yards a game on the ground. Um, it's, it happens to be Florida's strength. You know, they've been probably the best rushing team in the SEC and then one of the best rushing teams in the country. So it's going to be interesting to see. You know, it's sort of a strength against strength uh, sort of game for them. And I think that they have the element of surprise a little bit. I mean, uh, the Gators, obviously, I think they're 14 half-point underdogs. No one's counting them to win at all. I don't think that there's a single person who would choose them um, unironically. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I think that this is the first time we're going to be able to see them in a game where there's an almost no chance to the outside perspective but inside of course they're thinking it's Florida Georgia this is a game that can go either way sure. regardless and I think that some people do have that sort of mentality but when you look at their quarterback situation Anthony Richardson Emory Jones 
if they're going to go into this game with uh, without an answer or w- without a clear-cut guy as a starter that could catch Georgia's defense off guard. You know, if Anthony Richardson all of a sudden is in there starting uh, and he's throwing passes and he's playing multiple, multiple series in a row, then maybe Georgia's not going to be a, a calorie for that. Who, who knows? But, you know, if, if Emory Jones goes in there or they keep switching, you know, there's just different things that Florida can do to catch them off guard. And I think that that's going to be their way to win the game if, if they have any shot at all. And I don't think there's many coaches in America that can scheme up a game plan better than Dan Mullen, especially coming off of a bye week. But I know he just he has a personality that I know can grind on a lot of people and some reports are coming out now that it grinds on uh, people's minds, even all the way up to the highest echelons of Florida's athletic department. Uh, it's He's an amazing coach. I'll, I'll say it. Maybe not the best recruiter, but calling plays, it doesn't get much better than Dan Mullen. How big for his job security, if he needs it, if that seat is even hot at all right now, how big for his job security could back-to-back wins over Georgia be? Oh, that it, it, it's huge. I mean, I don't think that right now he's necessarily on the hot seat, so to speak. Um, I think that right now they're sort of in a wait and see mode. If they lose to Georgia, I don't think that he's necessarily gone. I think that it would it would cost maybe losing um, one or two more of the next four games, which would be um, very damning for his career. So I think that. For now, Dan Mullen's going to be fine, although I do agree, you know, he, he, he gets on people's nerves, basically, um, to put it simply, in, in how he speaks, how he goes about it, how he, you know, organizes his own program, what he says to reporters and the media, uh, just his personality in general. I, I understand that people aren't, you know, quite, they're, they're, they don't really like that sort of person. So, um, I think Dan Mullen's an, a very, very good coach. I think that he's one of the coaches where, uh, if, if you have an offensive game plan or if you need an offensive game plan for the next week, you're probably going to call on him out of a lot of or many or almost all coaches in the country right now. So um, I think that Florida wants to be able to retain it, a guy like that. I mean, they obviously liked him. They gave him an extension just before the season. Uh, this is a, a, a situation where Florida does not want to have to do this or have to move on or you know, want him to move on, and I think that they're going to try to do everything possible to keep him. But, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, if, if, if they end up winning this game, I think that you can put all of those um, issues to rest. I don't think that anybody would ever talk about it until at least after the season. It's going to be a big one in Jacksonville. Obviously, Georgia heavy favorites in this one. I just got a sneaking suspicion that Florida, this has kind of become their Super Bowl now that you said they don't really have a postseason to play for outside of, I guess, just trying to figure out a better bowl game. I feel like this is going to be Florida Super Bowl. I think they're going to give Georgia their best shot. Not saying the Gators are going to pull off the upset, but I think we're going to see a really competitive game down in Jacksonville. Demetrius Harvey from All Gators on SI.com. Demetrius, we really appreciate the time, man. Uh, good luck to your Gators. I know I know they're going to need it. And look, listen, you got to win for Jacksonville. It has to be so much more fun talking about, uh, writing about a win for the Jaguars than whatever the hell the previous, what, what was it, 21 games had been? 20 games, yeah. So, hey, back in the win column, and look forward uh, to see you guys down in Jacksonville, man. Thanks for taking the time. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Again, Demetrius Harvey there. You can see all of his stuff there uh, on Twitter at SI underscore all Gators there. Great stuff from him. We'll get the opposite perspective coming up. I don't think it gets much better on Georgia-Florida week than talking to our next guest, Buck Ballou, 6'8 to the fan in Atlanta, national champion with Georgia in 1980, completed that pass to Lindsey Scott, the run-Lindsey run call 
from Larry Munson. We'll catch up with the legendary Buck Blue next right here on ESPN Radio. On ESPN Radio, Christian Gokel, glad to have you hanging out here on this Tuesday afternoon. So much more to dive into as we have the Braves World Series coming up right here a little bit later on this evening. And of course, it is Georgia-Florida week here in South Georgia. I don't think we have a bigger week than this. And maybe not a better person to talk to about this game, the history, and what we should expect this weekend in Jacksonville. Georgia, Florida Hall of Famer, 1980 National Champion, Buck Ballou joining us here. Buck, thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, it's a good week, isn't it? We got the Braves in the World Series. It's been a little bit, but I'm uh, really excited about uh, the Braves and their opportunity to bring us another World Series title, man. I think we uh, match up really well with the Astros. And then we got the Braves and Dogs. Hope it's a different outcome than it was last year as the Gators broke that three-game skid they had to the Dogs. But I don't believe it's going to happen this time around. Well, Buck is crazy, man, because typically this time of year, uh, people in this area of the country are just 100% engaged in college football. I don't know. I, I think when you're down to that press box and you're looking into the stands uh, down at TIA Bank in Jacksonville, you're going to see a lot of conflicted people because you're, you're worried about what's happening on the field, but there's a big game coming up later that night, too. Well, it's game four on Saturday. Yeah, it's awesome for the sports fan, right? I, we only get this football a few days a week, and and with the World Series, Braves in the series, we've got something to keep track of every night, something to look forward to. Well, Buck, let's let's start in Jacksonville, man. And uh, it seems like two programs heading in a couple of different directions. Florida, uh, they're four and three on the season right now, and it's just it hasn't been good for them uh, versus Power Five teams over the past 12, 13 matchups. And this is a team that's made a bunch of New Year's Six Bowls. And if you look at this time last year, it looked like they maybe were trying to take over in the SEC East. Obviously, that hasn't happened. I mean, when you look at these two teams, kind of seems like they're headed in different directions. Yeah, I think uh, Bulldogs will get the Gators' best shot in this game. There's no doubt about that. They've got two weeks to get ready for it, so I'm sure Mullen will have a really uh, good plan ready for him. But this Gator team so much different than the one that showed up in Jacksonville a year ago. A year ago, they had Kyle Trask. They're throwing it 50 times a game trying to target Kyle Pitts, who's with the Falcons now. And you look at them this year, it's completely different. They're running the football effectively. They've got two quarterbacks that can run with the ball and they're featuring that run game which sort of plays into our hands defensively because we're rugged against the run our front seven looks like the best in college football to me so I think what happens here is Georgia's defense shuts down that that Florida run game makes them have to pass the ball and that's not something they're doing very well this year offensively for Georgia it's been the Stetson Bennett show the past few weeks and JT Daniels reportedly getting healthier and so that's going to be a decision we find out about later in the week but if it is Stetson Bennett again he's a guy from our area it, it just to me Buck and, and obviously you play the quarterback position it seems like he's taken a huge step from last year to this year and I got to think a lot of that has to do with we gave JT Daniels the credit right where he gets the full offseason with Todd Munkin well Stetson Bennett got that same offseason yeah, look, we're all proud of the job Stetson's done. He's been amazing this year. And then when uh, JT got hurt, and I think what y'all was in Athens yesterday for Kirby's press conference, and uh, just get the feeling reading the tea leaves that we're going to see both quarterbacks. We'll, we'll see Kirby play both of them. And uh, just, uh, you know, look forward to seeing us. Uh, hopefully the receiver position 
will be uh, healthier in Jacksonville and the remainder of the season because, look, you can't stay the same and expect to win the SEC, get over that Alabama hump, get to the playoffs, win a national title without being complete on offense. And I think the receiver position is really the key here. We've been dinged up, banged up. Need Jermaine Burton back in there making plays. Apparently, Arian Smith, the fastest guy on the team, ready to get back in there and make some plays. Really, uh, whether it's Bennett or Daniels, I think the key for Georgia to continue to get better and improve is that wide receiver spot. Buck, what do you think about the job Todd Munkin's done? Well, I like what he I love the scheme. Uh, you know, he's a guy looking for mismatches. Uh, from week to week, you see him attacking in different ways. I like that out of an offensive coordinator. Uh, it's, it's been a much better situation than it was a year ago, as you brought up already, about being able to have the time to teach, uh, learn the scheme, get comfortable in the scheme. He's done a really uh, outstanding job. We're seeing him because of the receiver injuries get these tight ends involved in the passing game more and say Brock Bowers has been he's been really exciting to watch at that tight end spot I was going to ask how would you like to have thrown to a couple guys like Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington yeah they're hard to miss right I mean they're big (laughs) targets they're athletic gosh we had some good ones when I played Uh, Clarence K Norris Brown uh, Peyton Norris Mark Hodge those were the guys that that were playing tight end when I was there. And Georgia has a rich history of having these great tight ends through the years. Tell you, with the recruiting class, they, they just, uh, they're about to sign come up in December. They're going to get another one uh, in, in that recruiting class. So it's been fun to watch. Brock Bowers has been amazing. And he's going to have to play a key role on Saturday. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier. They're four and three, but this is still Georgia, Florida. Uh, when you're playing in Jacksonville, these games can go in a whole lot of different directions. What's something to you that from your time playing and just watching these games throughout the years that the team that wins typically does? Well, look, I, I think two things. One, you, you can't give up the explosive plays and get away with it. Uh, two, you, you can't turn the ball over. So I think those are the big keys. And you know, you could probably point to that every week, but uh, especially in these big football games, you got to make the other offense earn it. You can't be allowing the 60, 70-yard touchdown sprint or pass, and, and you can't. You certainly can't win turning the ball over. Uh, Georgia's done a good job of it. I, I like where we are offensively. If we can, you know, the, the week off really helped. I think get some of these guys healed up at wide receiver. Add Mitchell's. Uh, come on really uh, well as a freshman receiver. He looked good in G-Day, and, boy, he continues to develop. So he's really stepped up big at that X-wide receiver spot. And uh, really I uh, had a chance to sit down with Lad McConkie yesterday, and I'm just so impressed with him. The redshirt freshman yeah. has really stepped in for Kiaris Jackson at that uh, slot spot and has really uh, taken off. He's a big play guy, so – you know, again, I think receivers getting healthy and being dangerous will be the key to us taking it all the way to the playoffs. I'm still waiting for the uh, wide receiver pass from Lad McConkey. He was a high school quarterback, and he was a really good one at that. But, Buck, you, you have maybe the biggest play in the history of the series. I'm not going to say maybe. You have the biggest play in the history of the series, you to Lindsey Scott, and we obviously have Ben Troop here. Uh, and He caught that pass in 2002 over Thomas Davis where it was Georgia's only loss. What are some of your favorite moments just watching this game over the years? Well, I grew up in Valdosta, Georgia, and, you know, our parents took us to Athens every year that we had a grandmother living 
in Athens. So we always went up and took in one of the games. But I noticed that they never took us to Jacksonville. And, you know, I found out why my freshman year, as we came over that bridge and you look down on that that uh, Gator Bowl site, and then when we got off the bus, that bus door opened, and, you know, all that uh, noise uh, came just roaring into the bus. I mean, this is high intensity down there in, in Jacksonville, Georgia, Florida, and it's just a uh, pleasure to be a part of, you know, as a player. Uh, really, uh, you know, you, you're sort of grinding it at this point in time in the season. And it's really a breath of fresh air. It's more like a bowl game in the middle of the season. The atmosphere is, I think, the best in college football. So, you know, as a player, you always look forward to being a part of it. And that one, of course, coming up 3.30 on Saturday. But before we get there, Buck, I mean, what was last Saturday like for you? Watching the Braves, Brian Snitker, uh, Freddie Freeman after, what, 11, 12 years with the Atlanta Braves, finally getting a chance to go to the World Series. When you're watching that scene unfold on TBS, what was that like for you? Uh, it was fun. Uh, you know, I've been a Braves fan my whole life. And, uh, you know, was was working uh, with the Braves pregame show for over 10 years here at 680 The Fan. So getting to know these guys, uh, you know, you become, uh, you know, as a member of the media, you really become a fan of the the guys and the team, uh, just getting a chance to know them. So it's, it's special. Uh, you know, Snicker's a, a special guy. I just – I'm like Freddie Freeman, man. I'm just so happy to see him, a 40-year employee that was working basically in the minor leagues most of that time, get this opportunity and and take it and run with it. He's he's sort of a chip off the old block with Bobby Cox. Players love him, and they want to play hard for him. And, I, I, you know, I've got a feeling we're going to see Freddie Freeman, the most valuable player in this World Series. So I'm excited, baby, to see him get going. He. You know, the last two, three games of the Dodgers series, start swinging the bat really well. Got a, a hunch we're going to see him do some big things in this World Series. How big do you think guys like Charlie Morton and Jock Peterson, who have been there in the not-too-distant past, I mean, Jock Peterson just last year are going to be in this series? Yeah, they've got the experience of being there, right? So that helps. Uh, Morton's already beat these guys twice a year ago in the World Series. So let's let's hope he makes it three in a row and – and uh, October, man, I tell everybody up here is looking for <laughs> necklaces here in Metro Atlanta. Hey, they, I can I can confirm they have made their way to the coast. Yeah, uh, you know these people. It's hard to keep them stocked. These things are going so fast. I've yet to buy one though. I I don't know. I, I'm not so sure I'm gonna look real good in those those pearls. But, I'll, have to, I'll have to talk to Chris uh, Mooneyham. Make sure he gets you a pair. Well, you know, my wife and daughter have some. I'm liable to slip one of those out during the week here. Yeah, I, I just I would I would take him and put him back in and hope she doesn't notice. Buck, we really appreciate the time, man. I know this is a crazy busy week for you guys, especially out on top. Braves in the World Series, but man, this is one of those weeks where it's awesome to be working. You got Georgia number one in the country and the Braves playing in the World Series. Good times, man. Great being with you today. Again, Georgia legend Buck Ballou right there breaking down the big game coming up in Jacksonville this weekend. He said, listen, they might be 4-3, and three, but this is still Georgia-Florida. Going to be a dogfight down there in Jacksonville. We got more to come here on Second Down. We'll be back after this. Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Christian Gokel, glad to have you hanging out with us here on this Tuesday afternoon. Big thank you to Buck Ballou for hopping on with us there. Awesome to hear from the legend, like I said, I don't know if there's anybody better to talk to 
on Georgia Florida Week than Buck Baloo. But we're going to give our next guest a shot. Joining us here on Second Down, good friend of the program. You can find all of his stuff on Dogs Daily on SI.com. Brooks Austin joins us now. Brooks, thanks for hopping on, man. Yeah, how about setting that guy up for failure right there with that lead? <laughs> no one better to talk Georgia with than Buck. Now let's go out to Brooks. Look, I got listen. I got to keep you humble, man. You're, you're out here blowing up on me. I, I'll say this: if you are a Georgia football fan or just a college football fan, uh, you like consuming the game of football and seeing what's actually happen out happening out there between those hash marks and sometimes hell with this new Todd Munkin offense outside of the hash marks. I don't think there's anybody better to follow than Brooks Austin. He does a great job there. Does that does that make you feel better? I'm slightly better. Can we move on with it now? Let's go. Certainly. Uh, let's talk about your favorite subject, Brooks. Dan Mullen. Uh, it's oh. been a rough, I'll say, 12 games for Dan Mullen going back to last season. Things are not going great in Gainesville, but you, you call yourself the film guy, and I think for good reason. I don't know that there's a better coach in college football right now when it comes to drawing up a game plan. Now, when it comes to in the game and execution on offense, I mean, I think we can look at the Kentucky game, but when it comes to drawing up a game plan, I don't know that it gets much better than Dan Mullen. Yeah, no, he's pretty good with the X's and O's. He always has been. Um, I've, I've always been on the record saying I think he's a, a fabulous offensive coordinator. Now, you know, offensive coordinating and being able to design up football plays and score points, that's like – you know, 20% of the job of a head football coach in college football. Certainly. Um, I would say about 50% of it's recruiting, and he's shown no willingness um, or even intrigue, rather, to even do that um, at a high level. So it's coming back to on him. I mean, most of the really good football players on that roster, um, they departed last year, and they haven't really reloaded in three or four years since he's been there um, through the recruiting prowess. So, yeah, no, the the cupboards get pretty bare when you stop recruiting and that's kind of what happened the moment he stepped on campus they started recruiting you know at about a 12 to 15 rank range and that's not going to cut it in the sec um especially when you've got you know your your primary competitor uh, in georgia recruiting at a top three level annually so no nah, it's it's coming back to haunt him pretty pretty badly um this year and you're seeing it on all fronts front you know front seven on the offense front seven on the defense weapons on the outside corners safeties I mean they're, they're thin linebackers looking thin as well so yeah no it's, it's it's caught up to them pretty quickly down there in Gainesville uh Brooks looking at this game I know this Georgia defense is otherworldly right now with what it's been able to do historically good through these first seven games and a big reason why is what you just talked about there you're stacking recruiting class on top of recruiting class on top of recruiting class and you have seniors out there making plays juniors sophomores and even some freshmen like Keely Ringo out there making plays as well but when you look at what Florida has weapons wise on offense how do you feel like they're going to try to attack this Georgia defense I think the main thing Dan Mullen over his history as a as an offensive guy um, he's much more versatile he's much more effective he's much more comfortable when he actually has a quarterback that can run the football um, he's got that this year. They they had an obsolete run game last year. I mean, it was it, it was it ceased to exist. I think there were some games where he was running the ball ten or eleven times for four quarters. I mean, they would throw it forty, fifty times a game and get through it with that way with that type of offense. And they were relatively explosive last year, but still have to have some type of running game offensive identity. I think they have that this year um, with with their quarterback. Their entire run scheme is developed and and created and made off of the idea that the quarterback is a threat to run. 
And the last couple of years with Trask at the helm, they didn't have that. Now they do. So I think that's the main thing you start with them. They, they want to run the football. They can run the football relatively successfully. Um, after that, they, they don't really have much of an identity because they don't know who they are at the quarterback position. Which player for Georgia's defense is going to give them the most headaches? I mean, Jordan Davis gives everyone headaches. Um, I, I think a guy like N'Kobe Dean can, can give this defense or this offense headaches because he's just seemingly always in the right place at the right time. Um, but outside of that, I mean, it's your normal cast of characters. Georgia, Georgia really doesn't. I mean, I think through seven games, they have seven different, you know, leading tacklers for those seven games. So they, they don't really yeah. go about it in a one, you know, superstar fashion or anything like that. But um, and you know that as well as I do, Christian. Christian, but um, no, nah, I, I think a guy like Jordan Davis will give the interior of that offensive line problems. But again, you don't do that to everybody. You you could come out with that statement every single week, and uh, you know, first and second down, he's going to dominate. Let me ask you this about Jordan Davis, because there have been the, the rumblings on Twitter. I shouldn't even say rumblings. There's just been people putting out on Twitter that, hey, he's been playing so well, he deserves to be in the Heisman race, right? Which, realistically, we know Heisman voters don't actually watch enough football to that would consider him in the Heisman race. But for you, if there was one measurable about Jordan Davis, something that doesn't have a stat that we could put out there and maybe make a stat for and say this is why he deserves to be up there, I don't even know if you think he does. But if he did, what would that stat be? I want to know what the percentage of second down plays that Georgia has faced defensively this year have, you know, had 10 or more yards to gain to go, meaning that there was zero first down success. Um, I would venture to say they lead the nation like drastically in whatever statistic that is. So average second down distance of yards to gain, I guarantee you Georgia is miles and miles ahead of the rest of the national, uh, you know, landscape of college football because of 99. You can't run the ball. Um, and when you do try to throw the ball, they've got five or six guys in the box and they're dropping five or six in coverage. So most of the time you end up incomplete on that possession as well or that opportunity as well. So there's a lot of times where teams are facing second and 10, second and 12, second and 13. And, well, that's pretty hard offense to, to be out here trying sure. to play um, against any defense, let alone against Georgia. So that, that would be the statistic that I would want to know, and that would be the thing that I would point to. If you're just watching on Saturdays, you know, Jordan Davis probably only plays about 30% of the snaps defensively for Georgia um, because he's not in on third and long and because he's so successful first and second down. They put a lot of teams into third and long, and he's just not on the field. So um, I, I think that's the main thing. His rep share, how many plays he's actually playing, and how successful Georgia is on first down, primarily against the run. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI.com joining us here. All right, Brooks, let's get to what everybody wants to talk about. JT Daniels Going or Stetson harder? Bennett. Yeah, yeah, exactly. JT Daniels or Stetson Bennett, uh, in your mind, because we talked to Buck, and he said he, he thinks we see both quarterbacks – on Saturday, in your mind, is that what happens? Yeah, in my mind, I don't think it really matters. Um, I wrote an article today. Georgia's, Georgia's scoring 38.6 points per game okay, on offense. That's a six-point increase from a year ago. Um, so their offense is even better than they were last year. Now, some people will say well, that's because they weren't playing or they were playing an all-SEC schedule last year. That's fine. You can go with that with what you will. Um, I'll tell you this much. In the history of the college football playoff, Okay, I went back and tracked this today. The seven winners, okay, the seven national title, uh, you know, champions, averaged 25.14 points per game uh, scoring margin. So they were outscoring teams by 25 points per game 
Georgia's on pace to outscore teams by 32 points per game this year um, with the 15th best offense in the country. It does not matter who your quarterback is right now. It doesn't. You're so far and ahead of better than everybody else defensively uh, at this point in the season, and I think you'll continue that throughout the year, um, that your 15th-ranked offense is more than enough. It reminds me very, very much so of that 2017 Alabama team that won a national title, scoring 37 points per game and allowing just under 12 points per game. I think that spread, that, that margin of victory in that fashion – is the exact recipe for national title success for the University of Georgia. I don't care who's playing quarterback. Um, and honestly, I don't think Kirby does either. I think, I think he's being 100% honest and truthful when he says he feels like he's got three or four quarterbacks that could lead him to a national title and then he feels confident with. Why? Because his defense is the best defense we've seen in 45 years. The narrative we keep hearing about why, like from the JT Daniels camp, I guess, is you have to have him there because we haven't seen Georgia – have to throw the football, right? Where you get into a game with, say, in Alabama, where they can they can put points up on you and you have to throw the football. I'm kind of with you. I, I Sometimes I think Georgia's best offense is, hey, I'm in third and eight. Let's not do anything risky because I can punt. And having my defense on your side of the field is almost as good as having the ball in my offense's hands. I was about to say, why, why, does, why does Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels or whoever it is playing quarterback against a potential matchup against Alabama – why do they have to throw for 400 yards to beat that football team? I've seen Alabama get gashed multiple times in the run game included this year defensively. Why are we sitting here acting like it's going to take 45 points to beat Alabama this year? I don't think it's going to. It did for Texas A&M. Texas A&M doesn't have Georgia's defense. They don't. Texas A&M doesn't even have Georgia's offense, and they put up that many points. So, um, yeah, I, I think this – I think it gets a little overblown, and I get I get it. It's a quarterback discussion. That's what people want to talk about. What people want to read about. It's what people want to see and, and discuss. Um, to me, it's a moot point. Your, your offense is what it is. Your identity is, you know, being able to be balanced 50-50, run and pass, and shutting people out defensively. You do that really, really well yeah. right now. Uh, yeah, if you have a bad day defensively, what's a bad day, Christian, look like for this defense? Like like 24 what? points. Like That's like points. catastrophic. Yeah, and you're, and you're almost scoring 40 a game right now. Like you're, you're, doing, you're doing everything you need to do to win a national title, uh, you know, quarterback included, whatever. Whatever the discussion is, I don't think it really matters. I, I have had a blast these first seven weeks. Just watching this defense. That's true. I mean, you, you can go, you can go get up and you know make, get a new beer and, and make some nachos during the offensive possessions. I don't really care. That defense is historic, man. It's fun to watch. It's it really, is special. Really, you're almost as excited. You're, you're, you're more excited to watch the defense than the offense, and that's that's a special kind of defense. And you're right. It has been some of those Alabama teams in the past, like the Ashawn Robinsons and the Reuben Fosters, where you kind of felt like that about those defenses. That's how good this Georgia defense is. All right, let's talk about my favorite position group, the offensive line. I know the narrative has been, hey, look how good this Georgia offense has been because you finally got that offseason with the skill guys with Todd Munkin and they got to get comfortable. I think the same can be said, Brooks, with Matt Luke, right, where you finally got that full offseason. Guys like Warren McClendon are growing up, and as injured as that offensive line has been, I mean, you lose a starter, like what, the first snap of the season. I think this has been one of the more underrated units on the team. I think so, too. I think they've improved week in and week out, but I also think their offense coordinator is doing a lot of things to help them out. Sure. Um, they, they do a lot of, you know, spreading teams out with uh, bubble screens, tunnel screens, uh, just getting the ball out quickly. 
um, things like that. So you're not sitting there protecting for days on end for 30 snaps a game. Now, what I think has been really, really impressive is this team's ability to pass protect when they do want to take deep shots. Um, so, yeah, I think they have come together a little bit. I think they've matured a good bit, too, throughout the year. And I think the most, the biggest sign of improvement for me is what they've done interiorly. Um, I think Cedric Van Pran has played better every single week. Um, and he's getting a lot more confident, as you would expect a redshirt freshman to do at the center position. So I think once they figured that one out, once they started getting their mic IDs labeled correctly, once they started getting guys in the right spot and just putting hat on a hat, um, you've got enough talented running backs back there for Georgia right now where you don't have to be, you know, all Americans up front. You don't have to be all world. You just got to get bodies on bodies and the running backs will do what they need to do. Uh, to get five, six, seven yards. I think they're averaging over the last like four games. It's like they're averaging north of five yards per carry as a unit. So yeah, they're they're running the ball really successfully right now. But they're also, like I said, being relatively balanced and, and remaining explosive while also being efficient. Um, those two things are very, very important. You have to have explosivity in your offense this, nowadays in college football to score in bunches. But you also have to be really, really efficient. You have to be able to go 12 plays if you have to. Um, that's something this offense has shown multiple times this season, whether it be first quarter or fourth quarter. If they need to put together a 12-play drive, they can do it and go 85 yards and score. So, um, yeah, I've been, I've been thoroughly impressed with the balance offensively. I know it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that everybody else wants, um, but as we discussed, I don't really care about none of that. Stuff. Yeah. I care about points and how much did you win by, and this team is dominating. Four of seven opponents have been ranked opponents. They are dominating right now. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI.com. Brooks, I don't know if I'm spoiling an article, but you got a score prediction? Um, no, I don't yet. I, I, I have, you know, I'll crack open the film uh, tonight in between commercial breaks on the World Series. Um, so I'll, I'll have a lot more information on that probably tomorrow. Um, but no, I, I think with the state of the program down there in Gainesville right now, it's not looking good. It's a little bit shaky. Um, you got decommitments flying off left and right. I don't necessarily know if the team morale is very high right now down there in Gainesville either. Um, I, I think Georgia rolls pretty comfortably in this football game. Uh, I think it's a 17-20 point win uh, for Georgia, believe it or not. Again, Brooks Austin, you can follow him on Twitter at Brooks Austin SI. I said, if you're a fan of SEC football or specifically Georgia football, I don't think there's a better follow out there uh, for information around your team. I know I certainly use a lot of the information daily here on our show. So, Brooks, I appreciate the time, brother. Look forward to talking to you. Yeah, I'll be sending you a bill. <laughs> well, uh, we'll we'll send that to the uh, the uh, accounts payable. We'll see if you get paid. Who knows? <laughs> Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI.com. Brooks, thanks, man. We'll see you, buddy. And we got more to come here on Second Down. We'll be right back after this. Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. A big thank you to Brooks Austin there for hopping on with us, previewing that game. Also, Buck Baloo, 6A fan and Georgia legend, hopping on with us, and Demetrius Harvey from SI All Gators on SI.com, previewing what is going to be a huge matchup. But we have game one of the World Series coming up a little bit later right here on ESPN Radio. 809, first pitch is your Atlanta Braves for the first time since 1999. Get ready to take on the Houston Astros in the World Series. Charlie Morton will be on the mound for the Atlanta Braves. Framber Valdez going to get the start there for the Houston Astros. And 
listen, for all the talk about the Braves being the huge underdogs, everybody wrote them off, wrote them off against the Brewers and wrote them off against the Dodgers. Houston comes in with just seven more wins in the regular season. So I think this is going to be a really fun matchup. Brooks Austin, I know, put on his Twitter. He said Braves in four. I don't know if we're going to be celebrating a World Series championship on Saturday night. If we are, that'd be a hell of a day. Georgia, Florida, and then a Braves World Series championship. I think you probably see this one go a little bit more than four. But again, coming up 7 o'clock tonight, you'll be able to catch the first pitch at 8.08. Pre-game starts at 7 o'clock. Huge matchup. Charlie Morton taking the mound for your Atlanta Braves. Also, coming up this weekend, Thursday and Friday at the Weston on Jekyll Island, we have Ben Troop's Florida Georgia Legends Series. Legends from that game down there in Jacksonville. The world's largest, you know what, will be on hand at the Weston on Jekyll Island. Friday night, 8 o'clock. You'll be able to meet and greet with those legends and hear them tell stories about that game, making huge plays. Really looking forward to that one. Brunswick native Willie McClendon, one of the attendees. So good to hear some great stories from those guys. There are still rooms available at the Weston on Jekyll Island. You can book those rooms. Just head to ESPNCoastal.com and look up Ben Troop's Legend Series. Three and out with Ben Troop coming up next.